Well, there's a lot of preparation that goes into these gatherings that we have, but can you imagine the preparation that's been going on for the teams that are gathering today to play in the Super Bowl? It's a game that's not just watched here in the United States, but across the globe. This is a very special, special game. And so we're going to key on that today. I was interested as I picked up a Sports Illustrated magazine and of course, now, do we have any Eagle fans here today? Okay, just a, okay. First service, we had Eagle fans, Chiefs fans, and everybody got along. It was really nice, all right? Uh, but of course, we kind of lean in the direction of Kansas City Chiefs, and, and oftentimes, you know, we, uh, I, hear, I hear us use this phrase, uh, the uh, Chiefs kingdom. Have you ever heard that phrase? In fact, on Sports Illustrated, a uh, kingdom comeback was even used, all right? A king, I don't know if that's going to happen today, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I want to talk to you today. I know the preparation that's went in on that side, that's a, that's a one kind of kingdom, but today we're going to be talking about another kind of kingdom. And, and since we're all thinking about football today, we're going to be thinking about the game plan that God has put in order for what I call a kingdom come game plan. Jesus one day was teaching his disciples how to pray. And they, in fact, they brought it up. They watched Jesus pray. And have you ever watched some people pray and you say, boy, I wish I could pray like they pray, man. I'm telling you, that, that guy, I just got people I love to, to pray with. I mean, I remember uh, Elijah Verge from North Ash Church of the Nazarene, good brother in the Lord. And we went out and had lunch one day at a restaurant. And, and he said, do you mind if I pray? I love to hear this man pray. I said, you go right ahead, Elijah, you pray. And boy, he bowed his head, and he's a, a boisterous brother. The whole restaurant got to join in on our prayer as he prayed this prayer. Lord Jesus, how wonderful it is to have the Nazarenes and the Pentecostals here having bread together and praying together. Glory to God. Amen. And the whole congregation went, amen, you know. And, and I leaned over to Elijah. I said, Elijah, you know they think you're the Pentecostal and I'm the Nazarene, don't you? Because <laughs> we kind of incorporate loudness, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but I love to hear that man pray. There are some people just really pray. And the disciples knew when Jesus prayed, he prayed. And so they said, Master, would you teach us to pray? He said, okay. He said, Here's, when you pray, pray something like this. And we all know it. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Isn't that wonderful? But then this phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a powerful prayer. And in the original text, if you look at it, you could easily translate it this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Well, now that kicks it up a notch, doesn't it? That there's things that are already true in heaven. And when we pray, we're saying, God, let what is true in heaven be true here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I believe, and as we're going through Acts, this is not the usual slide you see for our Acts series, but we're going to be picking up where we left off. But I can just see in heaven that the kingdom of God is there is a plan that is put into motion, and almost like this, I saw some of the coaches this week getting the teams ready. You know, they spent all these last two weeks practicing plays and 
drawings like this were made and didn't make any sense to me, but it did to them. You know, here's all the X's and O's, and you're going to go this way, and they're going to go that way. Here's the beauty about the plan that God has put together for his kingdom to come. This is, this is just amazing to me, but God knows the future. And he knows what's coming. In fact, in the natural, when we think about the game today, how many of you think each side would like to know what the other side's going to do? If we could predict their place, would that give us an edge? Yeah. In fact, wasn't there a big deal one time somebody actually did get the other team's play and it created quite a stink because that is what? That's unfair. That's not good sportsmanship, like conduct to, to know the other team's playbook. Well, you know what? <laughs> we have the other team's playbook. God has it. So what does that mean? It means we have an unfair advantage. Did you ever think of it that way? I have an unfair advantage in this game of the kingdom coming on this earth. It is. His kingdom is coming. Some of the already, some of the not yet. The kingdom of God is not food and drink, but, but joy and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all, the kingdom of God is within me, the scripture declares. It is here. It is here right now. And we're part of that kingdom. And I believe, just like what we're going to see today, there is a field that we step on every day and it's the field of play called life. And so I want you to take out your insert this morning, since we have this unfair advantage. And we're going to look at three kingdom game plans. That's what your insert is. Only one thing. I'm sorry, but I had to change it to four kingdom game plans. Okay, four. Because since I put that out, there was a, the problem is this scripture is a target-rich environment. But I promise you, I'm going to limit it to four, okay? Four game-changing plans. And we're going to pick it up right where we left off last week with verse 19 of chapter 11 in the book of Acts. I'll be reading from the NIV. It'll be on the screen for you. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, Antioch, that's an, that's an, haven't we heard about Antioch in the news lately? Yes, it still exists today. This earthquake we had and all, I, the other, my ears perked up. You know, we're sending aid to Antioch. Oh, we're going to do it in our text today too. Here we are thousands of years later. Isn't it fascinating? But I'm amazed at this scripture because when I look at it, I remember, don't you, how long was it? We were in the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, eighth chapter, when Stephen was stoned to death. And he's referring to that here in this text. It was a sad day in church history. Can you imagine how the believers felt? And there was a guy named Saul who stood there and they laid their coats at his feet and he gave his approval to the murder of Stephen. It was horrible. In fact, early believers probably thought, oh my goodness, this, this is, the, the enemy is winning. But I'll tell you what, when you read this verse, I thought, I read that and I go, well, he didn't see that coming, did he? And in fact, my wife and I were talking on the porch this week. I said, you know, honey, I see it this way. It's like the enemy had this bucket of water and he was trying to throw it on the fire and put it out. But you know when Jesus turned the water into wine? 
Well, he turned that water into gasoline. Wasn't that something? He threw that water on there. Instead of it going out, it flared up in his face. And it began to spread like a wildfire. He didn't see that coming. See, that's what I'm talking about. The kingdom is coming and nothing's going to stand it. But here's the first game-changing play. And you're going to see it in this scripture. You're going to see it tonight as well. When the pressure's on, you got to keep playing. When the pressure's on, keep playing because God always has a bigger plan. We see it in that verse, don't we? Here, this was awful. Terror. I know it, the church began to be scattered. People were fearful for their lives, and, and they began to run, and, and they went everywhere. And, and I'm sure the enemy thought, that, we'll take care of that once and for all. That's not going anywhere. But they kept playing. And when the pressure's on, and sometimes in football's a great analogy, isn't it? Because it's a high-pressure game, isn't it? It's a high-pressure game, and sometimes the pressure's pretty intense. And sometimes things don't look good, right? And I want to encourage you today while you're watching the game, Listen, the most exciting part of the game is in the fourth quarter. I want you to know, don't get all upset if things aren't going your way in the first quarter or even by halftime. Haven't we learned? Yeah, we've learned that things can change in the game. And I know it didn't look good for the church, but God had his plan. He'd already, he knew what was coming next. He had the enemy's playbook. So here's the reality. The kingdom of God will advance. It will gain yardage no matter how things appear. Political systems and ideologies cannot stop the kingdom. Armies cannot stop the kingdom. Tried over the centuries, can't do it. False religions will not stop the kingdom. Corrupt cultures, even persecution, even death, cannot stop the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, the apostle Paul is talking about us, and he's describing us with this analogy that we are clay vessels. He said the light has shone in our hearts and God has hidden a treasure in us. How many of you know God's got some hidden plays that are going, nobody's going to see coming, but they're going to come. And he's hidden this treasure in clay vessels. Strange. You don't do that. You don't put a treasure in a clay vessel, but God did. Why? He's, and Paul says, it's so that we will know that the power is not from us, but it's from God. We come on the field really powerless. But then God empowers us with his power. And Paul described it this way. Does this sound like what we're going to see tonight? He said, we are hard-pressed on every side. You're going to see that today in the game. Hard-pressed. But we are not crushed. And so people are going to get knocked down, let me tell you. In fact, he says, we're perplexed. We might even go, what in the world? But we're not in despair. We're not going to give up. We are hunted down, persecuted. Some of your translations will say, but we are not alone. God is with us. And he says, we might even be knocked down, but we will not be destroyed. The NLT says, we'll get back up again. A lot of people are going to get knocked down tonight, aren't they? Some pretty hard. Some might even be injured because oftentimes that can happen because this is a full contact game and so is life you must dress for the occasion would you think it's strange today if when you turned on the tv to watch the game even those of you who don't like football you kind of know basically how it works if somebody came out there and their sweats would you think that's strange to play the game you think well get that guy off the field he's in trouble he's going to get hurt really bad you don't when you come on the field, you must dress for the occasion. Is that right? And God didn't hide it from us. He told us, in this life, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be a full contact game. It's not like tennis. It's, they call it a gridiron for a reason. And life is a lot like it. 
In fact, I think Paul would have used it as an analogy if it existed in his day. Corinthians, he talked about running the race and boxing. I think if football existed, he would have said life is a lot like football. And in Ephesians 6, Paul says, listen, when you get on the field of battle, be strong in the Lord. And in his might, that's what we said, and he says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So you can stand firm against the strategies, can we say the plays, of the enemy. See, God already knows what they are. And he's telling us, here's how you dress. Here's what you put on. And he even begins to describe it. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people, but principalities and powers. And in verse 13, he said this, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing. Put on every single piece. Now, we talked about the guy coming out in shorts or sweats. That wouldn't be. What if somebody came out today, I'm going to wear everything but the helmet. Not good. How about, I'm going to wear the helmet, I'm going to wear the pads, I'm going to wear everything, but I'm not going to wear the cleats. I'm going to come out barefooted. What would happen? See, is every part important? So you can't leave one part out. He's saying put on every piece of the armor. And you can read that on your own. What are these armors? The, the breastplate of righteousness, the gird yourself with truth. Uh, yeah, that shield of faith, right? It's all there. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I realize, hey, we're not going out for a picnic, are we? He's trying to tell us something. When you step on the gridiron of life, it's full contact. It's full contact. Don't, don't act surprised. 1 Peter 3, 14, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid. I heard the coach of the Chiefs talking, and he gave the four pillars of their team. Do you know what they are? He said, attack everything. Don't be afraid of anything. Create energy and avoid distractions. When he said that, I thought, man, I could live that. That's good counsel for me, right? Amen. That would apply in my life, right? I think they're, they're right. Don't be afraid. We get so afraid. We see oh, the scoreboard doesn't look right to us. Man, we are down, down, down. I don't think we can ever claw our way back. We've learned in the natural that's not true, right? So it does, halftime, I don't care what it says halftime. Whether you're winning or losing, a lot can happen in the other half of the game, and God knows what's coming. And 1 Peter 4, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. What do you expect? It's football. Would you think so? Could you see some guys getting on the news and start whining about the man? They hit me. That guy hit me. Stop it. I'm not gonna go on. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Now, we don't preach a lot about that anymore, but there is a partnership in suffering. In fact, John Piper said this, and I really like it. He said, Jesus suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. I think that's what happened with the early church. I don't know why it'd be any different for us. In fact, it's important how we respond when things are not going well in our lives. Are you surprised when things don't go well? Or the way you think they should. Listen, the world is watching how you respond. You know, I, 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 I think sometimes I watch them guys get hit and get back up. And I go, man, them guys are, those guys are, man, that team is tough. The world's watching you. How tough are you? You're as tough as Jesus is. And when you get knocked down and you get back up, people are going to go, whoa, whoa. Same way. I believe people are watching us. Jesus is better 
than anything. Jesus is better than health. He's better than wealth. He's better than ease. He's better than my family. He's better than life itself. Jesus is everything. He's everything. And I would even be willing to suffer for him because it's all about him. We had lunch or dinner this week with Todd Milby. Some of you know Todd. He, he lit our hope candle, remember? Beginning of Advent. He's been battling cancer in his life five years. And every week is tough. He described the treatment he goes through. I think I might have been tempted to give up, but not Todd. But he said something over dinner. I even looked at my wife and went, what? He said this. He said, during these five years, I have learned so much, and I've drawn closer to God. And then he said this. I want to be healed, but I would not want to be healed if I had to trade what I've experienced over these five years and the intimacy I've found with my Lord and Savior. I wouldn't give that up for anything. I'm thinking, Lord, I want what he's got. I want what he's got. Let's keep reading, can we? Verse 20. It'll be on the screen for you. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Some of us say Hellenistic, Greek-speaking people, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You know, I read that and I think, wow, I want to experience that. I want to experience things that can only be defined or described by it must have been God's hand upon them. I don't want something I say, well, I did that. I, I did that. I, I'm talented and I was able to do that by my own strength and wisdom and ability. But what about those things that no one can take credit for? It was by God's hand. I want to experience those things. How about you? And it is on the gridiron of life. That's where you will find those experiences. Keep reading verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Anybody know what Barnabas' real name is? Remember? Early on, months ago, I like his name. Joseph. His name is Joseph, but they called him Barnabas because it represented who he was. He was the son of encouragement. He was encouraged. Can you imagine? Here's, here, I could, did you notice that Saul disappeared? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Chapter 9, he's gone. I don't see him anywhere. In, the, it's, in fact, it appears like the leaders in Jerusalem, they weren't real too whoopy about him, and the church was afraid of him. And so he went back to Tarsus, his hometown. Isn't it interesting that Barnabas went, huh, I remember. Oh, Saul. I'm going to go find Saul, right? He remembers Saul. Here's our next game-changing plan. The power of a team. The power of a team. Notice in the scriptures, how many times did them appear? Kept jumping out at me. Them. them. Don't they have a name? The them. We, see, we have a tendency to focus on high-profile players. You know, those that have 
the extreme talents that we wish we had. You know, everybody knows who the quarterbacks are, right? Yeah. Do you know all the names of the rest of the players? Well, if you're a real sports fanatic, you might. But most people go, well, I know most of them. I don't know all of them. And please tell me, who are the people on the bench? And who are those behind the bench? Who are all those people, that entourage that comes out? Do you know any of their names? And why are they there? Listen, we focus on those that are most visible. But I want you to know, it takes a team. And I want you to know. Because some of you think, well, God can't use me. I'm not a quarterback. I'm, I'm not real talented like some of the people around me. I want you to know. Hey, I think God's calling you, whoever that was. saying, you're it. He's calling you. He's saying he's talking to you. He's talking to you, right? God wants to use us all. In fact, it's not on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians, remember when Paul said God uses the weak things to shame those things that are strong or the foolish to come against the wise? I want you to know. You think to yourself, man, who am I? I'm weak. I'm not, I'm, I'm not wild. God, you're the perfect candidate. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And he's called you to be on his team. And he's going to use every single one of you. God calls and equips ordinary people, you, me, to do ordinary, to extraordinary things. Ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Brian and I were talking last week, and he shared this scripture with me. It's not on the screen, but... He, we were talking about this idea, and he said, yeah. He said, he, he gave me the scripture from Exodus 1, where it says, and the Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other Puha. And who were these women? See, we don't know the name of the Pharaoh, but we know these two women's name. Who were they? They were the midwives. Remember, Pharaoh, the king, said, listen, the Hebrew population is getting too, too large, and we're kind of concerned about that. So from now on, you midwives, when you're delivering Hebrew children, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Well, these midwives weren't going to do that, of course. And so they ignored the order, and they allowed these Hebrew boys to live. And it became very evident that, wait a minute, the population is still growing, all these Hebrew boys. And so the king brought these two women in who are named. We have their names, not the Pharaoh's name. What are you doing? They said, well, you see, Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. And so when they go into labor, we don't even have time to get there before the babies are born. <laughs> Isn't that great? So, but here, I love it because Brian said, you know, isn't it interesting? We don't know the famous guy, but we know these two ladies' names. Isn't it interesting? In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, and you know the scripture well, Apostle Paul is talking about the team. He calls it the body of Christ. And he says this in chapter 12, uh, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but it is many. And then he goes into this teaching, you know it well. He said, the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And, and two attitudes, he said, you got to be careful because you think you're not important because you're not, you're not, the, you're not here or you're not there. I'm just here. I want you to know every piece is important. Just like every piece of the armor, every member of the body is unique. And he goes on to describe some parts of our body, we don't see them. They're hidden 
Some unseemly parts are covered, but they're all important. We got parts in our body you didn't even think about today. Anybody think about your liver? Did you get up saying, man, I wonder how my liver's doing today. How are you? Where is it anyway? Where's it at? I don't even know. But if you had a sick liver, you'd know about it. Little Abram this week, I don't know if he's here. Probably isn't. He got better, but then Connie gave him a giant candy bar, so he's ill again. But <laughs> she gave him too much candy to eat. But he had an appendicitis attack, this little boy, you know. Oh, oh, what's that? Your appendix. I don't even know what an appendix is. Of course not. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. I was with a bunch of missionary doctors once. They said, you know, appendix is kind of a, a rare thing in some parts of the world, but in the developed nations, appendicitis is pretty frequent. Why? What's the appendix do? It collects poison. And we live in toxic environment. There are poisons all around us you don't even know about. So it's doing its job. It's collecting poisons, but it got so full of poison, it had to be removed, but it, it did its job. Same way in the church. We got people, we don't even pay attention. We don't even know their name. Who is that? And the two attitudes are, I'm not this, so I must not be important. The other attitude is, you're not important. We don't need you. Both attitudes are wrong. And the team is important. Did you All the thems, you saw them, all the thems. Ecclesiastics 4.9, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. Is that true? If one person falls, the other can reach out and help them. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I like on the field today, they get knocked down, you'll see it. Other players come and help them back up, don't they? Sometimes even the other team helps. Isn't that nice? You go, oh, that's so nice. Until the game gets going. Now they don't do that anymore. But Philippians 2, 3 and 4, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Humble, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. I'm always intrigued by players when they're interviewed. Because who gets interviewed? The water boy? No. Who gets interviewed? The, the VIPs. The most important players, right? And I love it when, and most, I, Patrick Mahone impresses me whenever they interview him. He always goes, they say, man, Patrick, that was cool, that was cool. Yeah, it was my teammates, so it was my teammates. It wasn't for my teammates, you know. And he gives credit where credit's due. In fact, this week, he sent out a tweet. Here's a picture on the screen. Who is that lady? Patrick texted about her this week. Her name is Julie, and he said this. Julie was the reason I was on the field today. It takes everyone, but she led the charge this week. She's the one that helped him with his leg injury and developed a plan and helped him, and hopefully today we'll see it, and he'll be able to get on the field. Who is Julie? Well, without Julie, Patrick said he wouldn't have played. But no one knows her name. But she is important, is she not? Julie was the reason. We're not spectators. We, we're, we're not fans. We're all meant to place. Get out, of the, get out of the bleachers. You're meant to be on the field. Because the game is won and lost away from the ball. All your attention's on the ball. But the game is won and lost away from the ball. There are always teams in play. We see Barnabas and Saul. They're going to become a team. 
They're going to travel. They don't know it yet, but they will. It's part of the plan. God hadn't told them yet, but he's already got it all mapped out what he's going to do. And later you're going to see they're going to switch. It's going to be Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. They're going to switch roles. This, this is amazing how this happens, how God puts people there. How about Charles Lindbergh? Anybody know? Maybe you weren't alive then, but you've read about in your history. But who was Charles Lindbergh? He flew a plane, didn't he? And where did he? he flew it across the Atlantic. First guy to do that. Wow, wasn't that terrific? But he couldn't have done it without Claude. It's called Claude. I've never read about Claude. Who is Claude? Charles said Claude was his mechanic. And without Claude, he would have never made it. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he nails the 95 Thesis, right? On the Wittenberg door. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? We all go, whoa, Martin Luther, yeah, the reformer, right? But he had an assistant. Did you know that? And without his assistant, he would have never translated the New Testament. See, we have this tendency. We see these famous people, and they're the most well-known, the VIPs, maybe a TV evangelist or somebody who's up before you all the time. Oh, wow. But we, listen, I want you to know, they're not alone. They can't be alone. There is power in the team. you got to understand that. If you don't, you're not going to be able to play the game effectively. God did not mean for you to do this alone. You're not meant to be alone. God says it's not good to man be alone. We're all to do this together. If, if, can you imagine today when, when the, they come out to flip the coin, they say we're only going to send one guy out. You'll find out real quick. This is a team game. It's a team game. And there's people, you won't even know their names, but they're going to be important. Can we keep reading? How about verse 25? Let's pick up the story. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians for the very first time in Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, we use the word Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You a Christian? I'm a Christian. This is the first time it was ever used. And it wasn't necessarily a term of endearment. They didn't call themselves Christians. Other people called them Christians. You know, like Romans, Italians, Christians. Why would they call them Christians? Because they're like Christ. And so I, want, I, I would hope people call me that. You know, who, what are we going to call these people? Well, they were called children of the way. But now we're going to change their name. And we're going to call them Christians for the very first time. But look what they did. For a whole year, they taught. Here's the third game-winning play. We need to constantly be making disciples. We need to constantly be preparing and training people. Listen, both teams, both teams have been preparing. They didn't, hey, y'all go home and, and just kick back and relax and watch some Netflix and, and get some rest. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. That would be foolish. They've been hard at work, training, preparing, going over plays. That would be expected, wouldn't it? In Matthew 28, Jesus said to his disciples as he was getting ready to leave, he said, listen, guys, you need to make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. He told them to baptize them and teach them to obey all the commands I have given to you. See, our problem is we go for converts, but it's not, you know, it's one thing to get people to pray a prayer. It's another thing, you know, you can do that in a moment, but they took a whole year, a whole year to teach people. It wasn't enough to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I mean, that's enough. That'll get you saved. But that doesn't make you a disciple. A disciple is somebody who follows in the teachings of, of Jesus. Ephesians 
He talked about the body, the whole body being fit together, every joint, doing its part. For what reason? To cause, to make every part grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing up in love. Grow. We grow. We're not meant to stay the same. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul's teaching young Timothy. He said, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, Timothy, I want you to teach other people who are trustworthy, who will be able to pass this on to others. Who are you discipling? Are you emptying your life into anybody? How do they prepare for the game? Well, you got those, that, what do they call them? There's, there's those who are veterans, and there are those who are, what do they call them? Rookies. How many rookies we got here? How many veterans? You veterans better be training the rookies. How else are they going to learn? In fact, Romans 10, 14 said, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's our cleats. That's our shoes that we wear. It is the good news. And we're not meant to sit on it. We're not to just have a little celebration for ourselves, but we're meant, we're meant to duplicate. We're meant to empty into ourselves, of ourselves, into other people, disciples. Not, it's just not, and, and listen, it's not just about how many we can fit in this building. I, I think the better measuring stick would be how many people have went from this building. It's about going. See, we get into a, Oh, I'm going to get off the topic. We get into a maintenance mode. It's not about maintenance. It's so easy to happen. All, we're just thinking about ourselves, our own safety. Our own, yeah, it's all about me. It's not about maintenance. It's about going out and seeing what God might do. Well, can we finish up? Verse 28 and 30. One of them, named Agabus, stood up through the Spirit, and predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, Agabus, he's going to appear again in our story later. In fact, he's, gonna, he's a prophet. Now, a prophet does one of two things. The spirit of a prophet can foretell or foretell. I don't consider myself a prophet, all right? But I have sensed sometimes on me a prophetic spirit when I preach because I'm foretelling. I'm foretelling. God burns something in me. I've got to speak it. That is the same spirit. Then there are those who could actually tell the future, give a word. You know, a word, a word of prophecy that might, I don't know, might be a warning. It could be, isn't that what's happening here? See, this famine hasn't happened yet, and it's recorded in world history. It really did happen, and it was a big famine. And isn't it interesting that the church started in Jerusalem, and even in Corinthians, you'll see where they sent gifts to Jerusalem. Why? Because of the famine. And here are these people who scattered, and the Gentiles who came in the church are now going to give to Jerusalem. That means, I think that's cool, because why? 
because your need is my need. We often say that. That's the way the church works. And here is the fourth and final game-changing play, sharing one another's burdens. I call it sacrificial generosity. Could we even call it prophetic generosity? What do you mean, Pastor? Has God ever told you to give something and you don't know why? Has God ever led you to say, you know, you're supposed to go over there. That sounds spooky, Pastor. I've had to just feel this burning desire that I'm supposed to do something for this person, but I don't know why I'm supposed to do it. In this case, they're going to know why. But maybe God would lead you prophetically to respond to a need. And maybe it looks like, well, that doesn't even, that's not even logical. I've had people come up and give me money. Say, here, Pastor, I felt led to give this to you. And I don't want to be me. I don't want to say, well, I don't need that. I, I used to say that. I don't do that anymore. Oh, you keep that for yourself. You, not anymore. I don't do that anymore. I say, thank you. Thank you. And I will pray about what to do with this. Because God's given it to me for a reason. And I evidently am going to be a funnel. Maybe. And I've had it happen. And it's so much fun. I'm telling you, this is fun. If you haven't experienced it, it's fun. And all of a sudden, you come across a need, and you go, ha, ha. And I give it. Say, now, this really isn't from me. I'm just the go-between. Somebody gave it to me for some reason, and I, I think it was for you. Listen to these scriptures, Galatians 6, 2. Share each other's burdens, and this way obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love one another. You're a burden. We share together. There's things we can't carry by ourselves that we can carry together. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Didn't we do that this morning? Wasn't that fun? Oh, you got to read the next verse. It's fun getting here and singing and having worship. But, oh, but then there's this next verse. And don't forget, don't forget to do good and share with those in need. That's, a, that's always a good way to end a worship service. Go out and help somebody. He said, these are sacrifices that please God. Sacrifices, plural. Both are sacrifices. Your praise is a sacrifice. You're helping others because you're doing it unto the Lord. It's not for you to get credit. It's not for you to be seen. It's, it's for God to move the train down the track. Remember, yeah, and Proverbs 11, New International Version. This is so true. I see this where I sit. I see this. One person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another withholds but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I'm telling you, I see this. I see this. I know people, they're always in need. I've known them 10 years, and they're always in need. Say, God, what's this about? Maybe you need to read the scripture. I know it sounds backwards. I know it's, it's but see, you're, you're thinking early kingdom. The chief's kingdom is not God's kingdom. It's a temporary kingdom, okay? It's a lot of fun, but this kingdom's pretty serious. It's God's kingdom, and God's kingdom, the more generous I am, the more God takes care of me. It's just that simple. And some people are in poverty because they've never understood this principle. And God wants us to be generous. He, and, and, and again, notice they gave according to their ability. Everybody gave, it wasn't like... And I hate going to church services, and you'll never hear me do this. You ever been to church? Okay, anybody want to give $100? Step? Like an auction. Anybody? I need $500. I need $3,500. I've been to services like that, and I'm thinking, man, I'm getting out of here for the lightning strikes. You know, I don't think that's the spirit of God. I don't think that. You don't have to manipulate people. You don't give. In fact, you don't even give just because there's a need. Isn't that what Corinthians says? We give according to our heart's desire, not out of compulsion, not even out of need. We give because the spirit of God has moved upon us. And if you do that, 
Here again, it says it again. I didn't say it. It says it. You will have an abundance for every good deed. If I'm short, I'm going to start giving. If I have a need, I'm going to meet somebody else's need. I don't know why. I can't explain it. It's a great mystery, but it's, it is a game-changing play. If you can learn. And you don't just give to get. You give because you love. Love is your motivation. And if you refresh others, you will be refreshed. Well, we're going to come to the table. Are you ready? This is going to prepare us before we go out on the gridiron this week. I'm calling you out of the stands. You people have been in the stands. Come on down. Come on down. Well, I'm not. That. Nope. Come on. Come on. Come on down. You're not made to be a fan. You're not a fan of Jesus. You know how fans are. They're fair weather fans. If things are going good, I'm a fan. I'll raise my flag. I'm a fan. No, no. I'm going to get down on the field and play the game. And this table here really is where our greatest preparation is, where we position ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 11, we referred to this chapter last week. I hope you had time to read it. In verse 26, Paul said, talking about communion, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, that sounds pretty morbid to me. You're supposed to remember it. Why? It is the gospel. And some of you have drifted away from it. And you need to come back. The gospel is pretty clear. Jesus died. He sacrificed himself for you and for me. And he took my sin upon him because of his death. So I could live. And I became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is not by my works or anything I've done. I have no room to boast. It is a free gift. And I need to remember that. And sometimes we forget. And sometimes, especially on the gridiron, we think we're pretty good. And somebody comes up and praises you. You know, when you're the pastor, you get both ends of the barrel. Oh, pastor, I don't know what to do without you. Wait, it'll get balanced. Someone else will come. <laughs> You're a real jerk, you know. <laughs> Thank you, I needed that to balance me out, you know. Both of these comments help me readjust. Because I'm not here in my own ability. I'm here because of what Christ has done. And we are one body, many members. And you know this pulpit? You know this is a Roman thing, don't you? The early church believers wouldn't know what this is. They wouldn't know what a pulpit is. It didn't exist. We got this from the Romans, you know, the orators. Nothing wrong with it. Like a lot of things we have. We don't know where they came from. It's okay. But the problem is it's created in us this deal where we come to church and we listen to a guy speak and we sing some songs and then we leave. And we're spectators. And God doesn't want us to do that anymore. He doesn't want me to do it. He doesn't want you to do it. Because this could be a problem for me, too, this pulpit. I can preach all the sermons I want, but am I living them? Am I playing the game? Or am I just looking good? I could be the quarterback sometimes, the coach. Cheer you on, glory to God, yeah, but am I playing the game? So I'm going to ask you to do five things as you come to the table this morning. If you're here and you've never taken communion, I invite you to do it for the first time today. If God is speaking to your heart, say, you know, I believe. I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I invite you to come take communion for the very first time. And then at the end of the service, come up and tell me you did that. 
And we're going to pray together because I don't save you. God does. I don't call people on to the team, even though I have this temptation. Boy, he would be good. And he would be good because I'm looking on the outward beam, but God looks on the heart. And he's putting his team together. And he's organizing a motley crew, let me tell you. But here's what I want you to do, five things. This is a sermon someday, though. I feel it. Look back. Remember. Look up. Christ is sit, sitting, sitting next to God the Father. Look in. Examine yourself. Look around. Discern the body. Don't look down on anybody. Don't discount anybody. And be careful you don't elevate people too high. Because we will disappoint you if you do. And lastly, look forward. Look forward. Verse 29, Matthew 26. I will not drink again of this cup until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's my hope for the future. And my God knows the future. So I can look forward with great hope, anticipation. I fear the Lord. And so I have no room for any other kind of fear. And I'm going to live my life. I don't know how long it's going to be. This has been the week of funerals. Had a week funeral this week for a longtime member of this church. In fact, the chairs you're sitting in, the carpet you're standing on, was provided by this family. And, and she played till the last whistle sounded. And that's a word for you today. Don't stop. I don't stop and I'm not done till the last whistle blows. Play through the whistle. Play through only God. Some of you will get to play all four quarters. Some of you will not. It doesn't matter because I play for his, at his pleasure and for the kingdom's sake. Pat, first service, her father passed away this week and we're going to, there was a service Friday and we're going to do a committal Monday, gather with the family. Heath Thompson in first service, his mother passed away this week and we'll be gathering Tuesday. Man, that's a lot of loss. It won't be the last time we gather like that. So don't waste your time. Claim it and redeem it. Because we still got a lot of game to play. Amen. Fathers, we prepare our hearts. We come to the table this morning. Our hearts are open. Father, some of us are highly pressured today. Got a lot of things going on. Some here came in here feeling like giving up. Stepping off the field and going into the stands or the locker room. Lord, I pray you just stir their hearts today and let them keep playing. Lord, I, I pray you would help us to realize the value of our team and that we would not isolate ourselves from one another, but we would walk with each other. I pray that each of us would make disciples and take what we have received and give it to others, who in turn will give it to others. Lord, would you help us? It is part of our mission. It is a game-changing play. And Lord, would you help us to be supernaturally generous, even prophetically generous, even sacrificially generous, as we carry one another's burdens. That's what makes us a team. And Lord, would you forgive us for sitting on the bench? I pray today as we take this cup and bread, we will realize that you are calling us onto the field. And we all have a part. In Jesus' name, amen.
Look back. Look up. Look in. Let's look around. And let's move forward. Father, thank you. Because you see the field from a different perspective than we do. And we are trusting you that when you call a play, you know exactly what's going to happen. Lord, would you help us, give us a heart for one another and for you. Let us discern the body properly. Thank you for calling us to be part of this team. Lord, I appreciate my brothers and sisters. I couldn't do it without them. Lord, I pray that we would begin to see the value of one another as we see your glory in our midst. This is a Incredible thing you're doing. It's a testimony to your glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If you're able, would you stand with me, please? Thank you for coming this morning. I know you have other options, but you chose to be here, and I'm humbled by that, grateful for it. Um, thank you. Um, in first service, somebody chased me into the prayer room and said, you forgot something forgot something in your prayer this morning, your prayer request and praying for us. I said, oh, I'm sorry, brother. I, I didn't see you come forward. I'm sorry if I missed you. He said, no. He said, I came to pray for our coach. <laughs> and he prayed for me, and it really blessed me that he did that. So I do covet your prayers. Whenever God lays me on your heart, please do that. And uh, pray that we could be faithful uh, as God. This could be an exciting week, so get ready. Get ready. Sam, your foot's doing better, right? I saw that text. We're going to keep praying for that. Glory to God. Pray for those who are grieving this week. See, we're, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. That's what the church does. We get to do it all. Sorry, I like to just stick on the rejoicing side, but we get to do the weeping side, and that's what makes us partakers of God's nature. Amen? We get to experience that together. It's part of the game. It's part of the game. So, Father, bless my friends as they leave this place. And Lord, uh, we're going to have a good time tonight and Super Bowl parties. And uh, Lord, we're just grateful. Bless our family times. Let it, let it be exciting. Whether we win or lose, it's just a game. But what we're doing is not a game. It's real life. So, Lord, we embrace it with that spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to be here to pray. Steve is here. I don't know if your wife's here with you today, Steve. No. Steve will be up here. If you want to be ministered to, this, this brother can speak over your life. Don't rush off. Receive what God has for you. But we'll be up here to pray for you. God bless you. Go in God's love. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.